0: Hey, welcome to The Couch GM. Today, we're talking with Tristan Garnett, who's a Pacific Northwest native and a current relief pitcher in the Philadelphia Phillies organization. So first off, Tristan, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, my man. Appreciate you. It's always a pleasure. Yeah.
0: So uh, can you walk us through how things are going in Florida for you this year?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, it's been interesting. We have a new player development coordinator that started in 2022, and he definitely I mean, that was my first season, but I've heard he flipped the script on a lot of things. So he had us out here, a pretty select group of guys in the beginning of January, right after New Year's, and kind of just got us going, helped build us up off the mound, like slowly and made sure he was monitoring our program and all the awesome staff there are all taking really good care of us. But uh, we started doing lives like a month and a half ago, and I've thrown four or five of those. I've gotten to throw in a couple games, so... We're rocking and rolling, and we're ready for spring training. That's for sure. It's awesome.
0: Right on. And then, uh, so minor league season that starts in April. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Cool.
0: So, uh, I guess down in Florida with spring training, can you walk us through the typical spring training day? What does that look like? You know, from yeah. The morning so to- it's
1: definitely it's definitely different for pitchers than it is for position players, and you know, I'm I'm grateful I'm a pitcher because our days are pretty pretty lax for the most part. But uh, we show up. breakfast dress down you know say hi to all the boys and then uh, we go to the gym do our tissue prep do our individualized programming for arm whatever other modalities you're working on for me it's my shoulder and hip mobility so we sit down with our trainers do all that stuff and then we go to the field do our dynamic warm-up do all of our pre-catch rituals like i do plyo balls and i have pretty intense band series i do every time i throw so Okay. So it's a routine I stick to and then we play catch and then after that we do our conditioning and then we do run prevention. So it's basically PFPs on yeah. many different scales, whether that's like working stuff off a mound or working pick plays or just being synced up with the rest of everybody in the field. You know, it's, it's all important, right? That's quite literally run prevention. So Right. We get done with that usually early afternoon, and then we sit down and watch whoever's throwing bullpens, throw bullpens, watch people throw lives, you know, watch our guys take BP, and then we're out of there usually early afternoons. It's pretty chill. It's pretty chill.
0: Sounds like the life, to be honest.
1: (laughs) Couldn't ask for much more, man. Couldn't ask for much more.
0: So how many days a week do you throw a bullpen, or uh, how many days a week do you do
1: live ABs? So we have been on a progression of, usually getting off a mound twice a week okay. and what that looks like depends on where we're at in our programming right now. Myself and a couple other guys are all on a deload. So we're taking it easy this week, but that's because we've been built up. But uh, typically it will be a bullpen and a live or two lives or a live and a game appearance, but it's every third day is typically what they've been running us on. It's just, it's enough to get your work in and yeah. feel pretty accurate to what it's going to be during the season. But it's also very early, so there's no reason to really push down on the gas 100%. Yet. You know what I mean? Right. We got a long ahead of us, so it's about it's about sustainability in this in this industry. You know.
0: Do they try to get you to do a, a back-to-back type day or work uh, by the end of spring training, or is that once you get into the season?
1: I think that's more once you get into the season. And, I mean, there's exceptions to that. You know, if you get asked to pitch in a big league game, obviously you're going to do what you got to do, right? Right. That's exactly accurate to what it's going to be in the regular season. But the level I played at last year, they were pretty adamant about not having guys go back-to-back nights just because you don't really do that until you get to the high levels anyways. But where I'll start this year, ideally, it will probably be you got to be ready to go whenever they tell you to out of the pen. And, you know, it's just – that's how it goes, right? You be you be excited, and you take care of yourself, and your body usually treats you well. So for sure, there's always a little bit of adrenaline going into games, no matter how many times a week you pitch. So that'll always kind of a little bit, you know.
0: Yeah. So have they communicated with you at all? Um, you know,
1: kind of where you're going to start out, what your plan is for the year. So later they, on? Don't really, they don't really tell us that till the end of spring training, yeah. but I mean. I, I would like to think that I'll probably finish where or start where I finished last year if all goes according to plan. And, you know, i finished finish spring training, get through it healthy, and body's feeling good. I can't imagine that I wouldn't go back to Clearwater or would go back to Clearwater, excuse me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's really, it doesn't matter what level I'm at. The job's still the same everywhere I go. So, you know, you just embrace what their plan is for you and try to kick ass and, my goal is I'm more focused on where I finish the season. You know what I mean? Right. Because it's no matter what, no, for sure. it's a long road to the big leagues. So it's, it's really more about where you finish. But yeah, it'll, it'll be exciting regardless. You know.
0: Yeah, all I can do is just try to get outs
1: when you're in and, and see where it takes you. That's it. The job doesn't change no matter what level you're at. It just gets more and more expansive, right? For sure. So let's get a
0: little bit into your background. So uh, you grew up in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon, if I'm not mistaken. You went to high school, and uh, can you kind of walk through? I'm curious about the recruiting process, what that looked like for you moving into college, and then if you could just walk us through the
1: different steps. Yeah, sure. So it was uh, it was interesting for me. I mean, I always had the size. You know, my dad's a big guy too, so there was always the expectation that I was wanting to and going to play in college, but. As everybody else in my family, I was a late bloomer, so I came to it a little bit later. And also, my high school, Westview High School, was a pretty, pretty powerhouse school. We were like the number 12 ranked team in the country, or something. So there was a lot of, a lot of depth you had to work past, right? And I think our starting three guys, my junior year, we're all committed to Pac 12 schools. So I mean, that's, that's
0: a good pretty legit.
1: Yeah, so yeah. I got, I got a little, I got a little sniff the end of my junior year, and then. Between that whole year, 16 to 17 years old, I grew like a weed. And then all of a sudden, people are like, oh, yeah, you and your dad are related, right? You're not 5'10 anymore. So uh, <laughs> I started doing a bunch of showcases my junior summer and kind of got the word around, got some eyes on me. And uh, by, I want to say, October, November of 2015, I was talking to... University of Portland and Oregon State had offered me a a walk-on spot and a couple junior colleges around the local area that offered me deals, offers, if you will. And uh, obviously, being a kid, watching OSU in the World Series back in the early-mid-2000s, that was my dream to go play there. You know, that's the hometown. So ended up getting that opportunity, was never more excited to say, yeah, let's do this, you know. Uh, finished my senior season out, did pretty well, and then reported to Oregon State as a walk on. And, uh, being that that was the 2017 squad, which was unreal, along with the 2018 squad, I knew pretty early on that I was going to need more development in order to be able to compete at that level just because yeah. of how late I blossomed, you know. Mm-hmm. But I figured I was in the right spot to do it. You know, that's that's baseball university, there, man. Like, you. Even if you don't really know what's going on when you get there, if you pay attention, you you catch on pretty quickly. So it was a very very cool experience that 2017 year. I just lived in the gym, ate freaking six seven thousand calories a day. Man. it was baseball boot camp. You know, they basically told me you need to you need to grow out a little just bit before you're food. ready. Your body okay. can handle that stress you're about to put it under. So then uh, they sent me to the West Coast League. If you're familiar. I mean, you're a Seattle guy, so I'm – yeah. Yeah. I played for the Bellingham Bells that summer. It was one of the best summers of my college years. And uh, got a bunch of great work against a bunch of really talented guys from all over. Went back into that fall of 2017, much more confident in my ability. Put on a little bit of velo, so now it's like, okay, I can hang with these guys. And uh, earned myself a spot for that 2018 team. And I went in and had a little – post uh fall ball exit meeting with all the coaches and just kind of asked where I was at. And they told me, uh, basically you have definitely done more than enough to earn a spot on this team, but based on the guys that are in front of you, which is a laundry list of guys who some of them are still playing in the big leagues right now, which is awesome. Uh, you're just not probably going to get the amount of time that you need in order to actually develop in the way that we all know you can. So, you know, it was a tough decision because that's, you're leaving your dream, but at the same time, like my expectation at the time was to go right back there. And, you know, it doesn't always work out like that, but it was a very, very good decision leaving Oregon State. It was because I think that's betting on myself, you know? For sure.
0: There's, taking that leap. there's
1: kind of, go, ahead, go ahead. I was going to say taking that leap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like there's the uh, the part about having the accolades. And I mean, I knew I could have told you first practice of that 2017 fall that, They were absolutely going to win the World Series just with the amount of attention to detail there was every day of practice and the talent that we already started with. You know, it was insane. But uh, yeah, it's betting on yourself. And I mean, like it's my career. It's not about what happened in college. There's plenty of guys that had a very successful college career that unfortunately didn't get the opportunity to play pro ball. So it uh, it was it was reminding myself about long term gratification. You know what I mean? It's not all about the now. Right. For sure. Yeah, uh, so
0: go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask. So, were you a starting pitcher all throughout high school? And then up until that point, you were still a starter? Or were you relief at that point?
1: So, I was a starter in the one year of varsity ball I got to play in high school. But uh, going to Oregon State, my assumption was I was going to be a reliever. And it was just whatever they saw fitting for me. But then when I transferred to Lynn Benton Community College, which is where I went to after that. Uh, Beginning of the 2018 season. I was a starter there, and then they tried me out in a relief role just to see, like, you know, where I fit in the best, and I kind of bounced back and forth from both of those. But it was crazy because that 2018 Lynn Benton team, we went 42 and 2, and that team was also ridiculous. So, yeah, it was all the relief guys were pretty hungry for innings, right? I think I finished the season with like a little over 20 innings just sporadically spread out. But that's because, like, you know, I had a 1.8 ERA on that team, and I was bottom half, right? <laughs> like, our, our day one starter there had, like, a .63. It was, it was a very oh, fun man. team to be a part of just because, you know, we just beat the brakes off people. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. bitter end because we ended up making it to playoffs, and then we got eliminated after the first two rounds. But at that point, I was pretty much – I knew I wanted to uh, venture on outside of the state of Oregon just to see, you know, where else college could take me. And I had a few offers. One of them was from the school I ended up going with, which was California State, Dominguez Hills. Love that place. Probably the best decision I ever made was going to that school. But, uh, yeah, so then that next summer, transferred down there and told myself coming from where I came from, I wanted to assert a really, like, large, important spot on that team, you know, because I knew I was capable of it. And uh, I was a starter both years I was there.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was looking at your stats and your innings and that's why I was, okay. So you, you went back to a start at Dominguez Hills. And then by the time you graduated, um, did you start out? Okay. So walk us through, yeah, your time at Dominguez Hills. And then, you know, after college in the process of, I'm, I'm really curious of what it looks like to find an agent, hire an agent, that type of thing, what kind of support you have. And then moving into, you know, finding a team, trying out, you know, signing
1: with the Phillies, what that looks like. Absolutely. Yeah, it was definitely a a different path I took, but it got me here. So I'm very grateful of it. Yeah. Um, First year at Dominguez Hills, I was uh, mid to upper eights lefty. I was our Friday guy and uh, got substantial innings. I think I finished the season with like 63, had a decent year, you know, mid fours ERA, nothing crazy to stand out with, which me knowing and being honest with myself, I knew I needed to put up more than that if I wanted to have an opportunity to play pro ball, especially out of a D2. So uh, instead of playing summer ball my junior year, redshirt sophomore year, I guess, I decided to invest in myself and go to this place called Chapman Baseball Compound in Irvine. All praise to those guys. They are doing something super special there, too. It's awesome. But uh, pretty much just threw all my eggs in one basket and said, let's see what we can get out of this and did the whole weighted ball program yeah and it showed results you know i came back that next fall popping some low nines popping mid-nines so it was okay now this is actually a reality right and i, I talked to a couple teams from the previous year and said hey my velo's up a little bit and then uh went into the 2020 season pretty confident you know like if i go and do my job then things will work out the way they should yeah and uh season was going pretty decent and then obviously you know the whole world ends in march and right now it's well crap what's what's gonna happen next right like you know it's not just me but this sucks right the one year that i'm draft eligible all of a sudden that opportunity is not even a thing and the draft gets cut to one eighth of what it normally is right right. you know So it's just being adaptable. And uh, I told myself, you know what, not really a big deal. Maybe it's just time for me to get even bigger and come back stronger to, you know, command more presence on the mound and took it as an opportunity. It ended up being probably one of the better things that could have happened to me because now I don't have to worry about school and going to practice and also the element of I have to go compete. So the things I'm learning, I can't really apply other than in a bullpen without having consequences of maybe not being able to have full feel for what I'm doing. Yeah. So instead of worrying about pitching, I ended up just getting on a mound twice a week and literally just trying to throw a baseball as hard as I could and teach my body how to do that. Like I said, probably one of the best decisions I've made for my career and uh, came back 2021 still wasn't sure we were going to have a season was going to classes in the fall. So it was kind of odd. They canceled the season in November of 2021, and so now I'm thinking to myself, "Well, crap! How am I going to showcase myself?" And uh, continued going to my facility, and then all of a sudden, this absolute miracle happened. My coach calls me in April, says, "Hey, there's this draft league going on in Lake Elsinore, California, out of the Lake Elsinore Storm, which I think is like a low A affiliate for the Padres." Okay. They're out of their old stadium. There's going to be 10, 12 scouts there a weekend. You know, you're a big lefty. We totally believe in you. Go there, do what you do, and go earn yourself a contract. And I'm, okay, cool. This is this is my being now, right? This is what I have to do. This yeah. is my shot. So once every weekend, I drive two hours down south because it's kind of on the way to San Diego and uh, go pitch in these games. A lot of JUCO guys, a lot of other California college guys that had their seasons canceled. So it was really cool to uh, you know, see everybody going after the same goal, right? And it was very competitive. But uh, yeah, by the way, that's called the BRG Scout League, in case I didn't say that. BRG, okay. So thankful to those guys for giving me that opportunity. I know they had quite a handful of other guys get picked up and get opportunities out of that league. So they're doing what they want to do, right? That's exactly what they want to do. So uh, I pitched in that league for, I want to say, six weeks. And that led me up to summer of 2021, where I played for the Arroyo Seco Saints, which was even more legit, because now you got guys coming from Vandy, Tennessee, like everywhere you can think of major power five schools. Yeah, And uh, did decent there, you know, definitely wasn't the level of competition that I was pitching in. So it was an adjustment period for the first bit, but, um, was offered to play in the all-star game for that, that league. And I went and there were a bunch of teams at the Compton youth Academy. And at that point I'll backtrack really quick. So I was talking to a decent amount of teams going into the draft, right? I went to workouts for quite a few of them. And there were some that I could tell were severely, severely interested or seriously interested. Yeah. And, uh, Got a phone call on the draft on day two, told I was going to get picked in the 10th round. And, you know, I'm coming to terms. I'm like, holy crap, this is happening. I talked to the guy who I will introduce as my agent after I'm done with this story. And he's like, yeah, that offer, take it. Absolutely. You're 23. You're not going to get anything better than that. Let's go. Good for you. Then watching the draft, you know, and all of a sudden my name doesn't get called. And I'm like, ooh, all right, cool. I've heard this happen. So, you know. Back to the drawing board, right? And ended up not getting any calls for the rest of the draft, even though I got called on day two, which was, you know, I've learned this is just how the draft works, man. Teams put you as a guy on their board, and there's four or five other guys in certain cases, and the general manager is going to go with whoever they think is going to be the best fit. So, uh, like I said, got invited to go pitch in this all-star game. Had a good outing and uh, woke up the next morning, and the Phillies called me and, that was my only offer from teams and they said, Hey, you want to come play ball for us? And I said, hell yes. They Absolutely. said, all right, cool. It's Thursday, be down here on Saturday. So it was a pretty quick turnaround, packed up my whole life, got on a plane, flew across the country and here I am, man. Here I am.
0: That's awesome. No. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. I mean, your life is kind of, you know, put on pause, you know, in 2020, you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you only were able to get in six games. It looks like that year before the season was canceled. Right. And, then, you're just kind of doing whatever you can to get that opportunity. So that's that's cool to hear. You know the grind of what you had to go through and that opportunity that you have now. So that's exciting.
1: Character building, man. Character building. You know, for sure. <laughs> that would be a fairy tale for everybody, but I got a foot in the door, and that's all I can ever really ask for, right? Right. So so you graduate
0: uh, college, um, or you 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 finish out college. Um, so how do, how did you find the agent? I'm curious about what that looks like.
1: So once again, kind of crazy how this all ended up happening. So I'm sure you're familiar with uh, pitching ninja, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So he has another account called flat ground app that's entirely dedicated to showcasing guys who maybe have slipped through the cracks otherwise. So at my facility I was throwing velo pins and you know, popping new numbers that I hadn't seen, which was obviously really exciting. And so I started putting it up on Twitter, tagging him, following the whole column of things you yeah. need to do in order to, you know, be correct. He has like an entire list of things you need to list in order to be qualified to be reposted on his account. Did, got quite a substantial amount of views from it. And uh, one of them was my now-to-be agent, liked it. Okay. And I DM'd him and I said, hey man, I have no idea how the draft works, I've been told by a couple of scouts, you know it's a possibility that I could go. So I would really love to get on the phone with you and you know just pick your brain about the whole process of up to the draft and draft, post draft, etc. Calls me, we have an amazing conversation for like an hour and a half. Follows that with I can't be an agent right now because you're still an amateur, you haven't signed. But I would love to advise you, and then if you do sign, then I would love to work with you. Gotcha. Absolutely, you know the dude. Literally, some kid on Twitter reaches out to him and says, hey, can I call you? I mean, that speaks volumes about a person by itself, right? But, uh, yeah, he's really good at his job. Nello Jamberdino, shout outs. MPG Sports, that's fam right there.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, it's all about the right place, the right time, and
1: who you know and the connections that you get. It's funny how things work sometimes. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, showing interest, right? Because, I mean, part of me thinks had I not reached out to him and, like, show the initiative, maybe he would have just thought I was some other person, you know? Right, gotta put yourself out there. That's it, that's it. So that, I mean like that's, for whoever else sees this, like I will tell you, people may make fun of you for it, they may say it's corny or played out or whatever, but like, if you want an opportunity to do, showcase yourself on every platform you can, for don't sure. care what people think, cause you know, it just takes one set of eyes to say, we can work with that, you know?
0: Absolutely, that's, that's great input so you sign with the Phillies and you head over to rookie ball. You play rookie ball in 2021. Uh, it looks like right. you start at, start out rookie ball 2022. And then can you walk us through last year? What that looked like?
1: Yeah. So it was actually interesting last year. I, uh, so I'll backtrack. I went and worked at driveline in the off season of 2021. I was going to ask you if you knew Phillies. about driveline
0: cause that, that's similar oh, to yeah. what you were mentioning before.
1: Yeah. So travel baseball compound was where I worked at in California. Okay. And then the Phillies called me and, I want to say December of 2021 and said, Hey, you know, you're on a list of guys who we think we could get more out of. And we like your work ethic. So you want to go train up in Seattle. And I mean, driveline was what started that whole movement, right? I think it was called pro summit or something before it was driveline, but Kyle Mm -hmm. Bodie and those dudes up in Seattle, they are wizards. Like it's, it's data input to a completely different level. Like went up there first day, on the job, they stick, I want to say like 80 different little motion capturing dots all over me. And I did this motion capture thing where they break me down from every camera angle possible and see where my deficiencies are. Yeah. And then, uh, put me in their pitch design lab and found my player company, MLB, who funny enough, they said is Amir Garrett, which, you know, Garnett, Garrett, like some oh, people nice. still mistake <laughs> me that, but, um, yeah, big lefty has a slider too. And, um, At that point, I was throwing significantly harder than I was in the summer of 2021. I mean, all I worked on the whole offseason was just getting as strong as I could. And uh, went in. They gave me a slider, which you'll see here soon. But um, yeah, and then I went into spring training. I had a pretty good spring training. Broke camp with our low-A team, the Clearwater Threshers, and uh, my first outing, I had a little setback. I had like this thing called a sternoclavicular ligament sprain, strain—not a sprain, because sprain is torn. Uh, apparently, according to all my trainers and team doctors, it is one of the most weird baseball injuries you can have, and usually it happens from like impact injuries, like football players. But it's the ligament that holds your collarbone to your sternum. Really? Sternoclavicular. Yeah. 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 So basically, through Working out, maybe concentrating that area too much, not having the mobility of my shoulders like I should have, and just obviously going through my first spring training. Go well, out my first outing and uh, woke up the next morning, and things just needless to say did not feel right. You know, it's beginning of the season, so I'm pretty pissed, but I know like what I have to do to be smart is go talk to a trainer and not try and make the any worse than it is. I so agree. then, uh, one outing into Clearwater. Go back down to rehab for a month or so, and then they work me back up slowly. And then I start pitching team or pitching games for our FCL team. And being an older guy, I was basically our fireman. So anytime bases were loaded and they needed one out or two outs or whatever the situation was, I was the guy who went in and like swept up the pitch. You know, offered insight to some of the younger guys too. And
0: uh, yeah, no, that no. happened. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, anytime they need a, a strikeout, it looks like, because I mean, 13.3 strikeouts per nine in uh, a ball last year. And so your, your strikeouts really ticked up your whip really dropped your ERA dropped a lot. So do you attribute that to the driveline work that you were doing? And
1: I would say definitely they, they showed me what I do really well. You know, I mean, yeah, I think games show that too, but, uh, they, they just kind of, they help me simplify pitching for myself. You know what I mean? Like now for me, I know my, my stuff works up to down. And I don't really worry about the right to left stuff as much cause I'm a cut ride guy, which means my ball obviously rides and it cuts in glove side, which I'm not sure how many people do that, but it's, it's always an advantage when you have something that can dip under a barrel and then beat a guy at the last second, if that makes sense, you know?
0: So, so you said your fastball <laughs> cuts and rides?
1: Yeah, so basically it comes out of my hand like this and kind of just does this to right-handed hitters, comes in on them. Up and in, okay. Exactly, exactly. So uh, my my only real target intention when I'm pitching is just if I'm trying to stay in the zone and stay competitive to attack a guy pre-2K, then I'm throwing it through my catcher's face mask or his visor, and then when I want to extend up with my fastball, I throw it through the umpire's face mask. Okay. Which I have a very, very high arm slot. I'm a big guy, but also I think I'm like 6'10, 6'11. So okay. I'm pretty straight over the top. Yeah. And uh, what I've been told by hitters and my coaches is that, like, that angle coming down, when it flattens out, it kind of deceives hitters and they can think it's going to come lower. in the last second, it just, they swing right under it. No. That makes sense. Yeah. But uh, they, I mean, I've always known I had a decent changeup, but they showed me where to throw it in order to have results, whether it's to lefties or righties. And I got a ton of confidence over, or with it over the offseason. And obviously that third pitch, I mean, it's not really, it's gotten tremendously better than when they, the Phillies initially tried to teach me a slider in fall of 2021. But um, it's definitely still my third pitch. You know what I mean? Right. I know my strengths. I know my arsenal and I'm very, very, glad I've gotten to a point where I have confidence in it that I can throw it for a strike or in a plus count to get a guy out. But uh, I just know with, with my with the ride on my fastball, the changeup just plays way better off of it. You know what I mean? Because that's really the only pitch you can throw that is identical spin to a fastball that hitters can't pick up. So yeah. if you got something that you can have confidence in that is considerably slower than your fastball. Why would you not go to that? You know, For sure. So
0: yeah, let's get into your pitch grips. So you got a four seam fastball?
1: Yeah. So I only throw a four seam my whole life. I threw it with my finger on the side of the ball. And then I don't know what changed in my brain. Watching big leaguers, you see a lot of guys hook the thumb under and I felt like that immediately gave me more seam to rip off of. And I feel like this could cause a little bit of inconsistency as far as movement for me, especially now that I know I'm trying to just go up with it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, like I said, I have cut rides, so it's not true twelve spin. I'm I'm not sure if you know what spin degrees are yeah. or spin angles. 12, twelve six. I think my fastballs at like eleven thirty to eleven fifteen, so it's okay. pretty cutterish. But I mean, I feel like when I go to the left side of the plate, it stays up a little bit more, and when I kind of go to the right side of the plate and get across myself, that's when I get that that real cut movement. But yeah. you know, it, so, it, it, go
0: ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, so I noticed you uh grip the ball with the horseshoe uh towards your body. Have yeah. have you have you tried throwing it uh with the horseshoe moving out? Um the reason why I ask is because in high school I, I held it like you do, and uh mm-hmm. I actually got cut on my fastball too. But uh na- now I hold it with the horseshoe on the outside and it's more of a straight action. So mm-hmm. that's why you get that cut, yeah yeah no
1: that's that's interesting stuff that's definitely something they they dove into when i was at driveline like i was playing with a bunch of different colored balls like basically my initiative because i did cut a lot was to split the ball in half and try and think even finger pressure but um i don't know what i've noticed for pitchers it's really just what you're the most comfortable with and that could vary when it changes throughout time but um yeah I, I mean i've definitely tried a bunch of different things in, in catch play but this is this is usually the the horseshoe facing outwards is usually what i like to get because oh, yeah. personally now that yeah. now that i know how to attack guys i feel like having the cut is actually good being that most hitters are going to face are righties because right. they're expecting you know, an inside pitch to run back over the plate and then it kind of just continues to eat away at their hands so it gives you a little bit of a little a little bit of room to work with, you can almost throw balls over the middle of the plate, which is kind of our whole motto with the Phillies too, just fill it up, throw it over the plate, let it work, let your natural stuff play, and you know, get ahead of guys instead of worrying about tap dancing around the strike zone, get after guys.
0: Yeah, just give them your best pitch right down the middle and see if they can hit it.
1: (laughs) Exactly, because you'd be very, very shocked to know like what different batting average numbers are and counts. On an OO fastball, a hitter has like under a 170 batting average on a fastball, middle, middle. Really? That's not even like to one side of the plate or the other, because if you think about it, most of the time hitters are going to want to see pitches, right? That's their right. job is for themselves and for everybody else on the team. They want to see a guy throw as many pitches as possible so they can get a better uh, strategy to attack them, you know? So if you can just fill it up, let's fill it up with the P right. But, uh, yeah, just fill it up, and then the other the other initiative we have is finish them. So fill it up, kind of just I feel like initiates pre two K, just flooding the zone with strikes, attacking because I feel like you know that intimidates guys when they know someone is just blowing the strike zone up. They're gonna have to force contact, but uh, hitting is hard, right? Hitting is really hard, and I don't think people give that enough credit. You're trying to hit something that's most of the time over 90 miles an hour. Flying at you with a wood cylinder right hitting <laughs> hitting a round
0: ball with a round object or a round bat right and uh, exactly I think the MLB league average was somewhere around two fifty last year, and mm-hmm. tip, yeah like I mentioned over the phone, you know if, if you have a if you succeed three times out of ten, you're probably an all star as a hitter exactly so exactly that speaks the to
1: failures in this game right
0: yeah. So you got that four seam, and when you're throwing that, you're just you're just focusing on ripping down on the ball.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I really think like snap through with my fingers at the very end, and that's what creates that that backspin. But um, through years, I had a pretty long arm path back in the day, and now it kind of I just rotate through my scap. But like I said, I'm pretty over the top. So like my my release height is or my release is pretty much from about here. Yeah. So. I'm naturally going to get that right anyways, but yeah, just throw it as throw, throw the crap out of everything. That's what I've learned. The, the harder you throw stuff typically, the easier time you have directing it, if that makes sense. Like we right. talk to a lot of pro guys, they play catch and for relief guys, I should say specifically, they usually don't get out past 120 and they're more just focused on keeping the ball in a line and just keeping that good backspin on it or whatever their spin degree is. You know what I mean? Right. But, uh, yeah. And then off of that, I throw, this is my slider grip right here. This is okay. the Phillies kind of taught me it. And then the driveline facility I worked at it gave me a little bit more insight as far as just where to place my index finger. But um, if I want to get a little bit more depth on it, I throw it around this U of a horseshoe. And if I want it okay. to be a little bit like an earlier, not necessarily get me over, but more of like a cutter slider action. Yeah. Where it's a little bit harder. I throw off of the two seam right here. Okay. And um, I mean, you probably have seen like with all the pitching engine videos. There's a lot of guys that throw the spiked slider now, or yeah, spiked curveball. There's so many like ways to, to throw it. Yeah, it's interesting seeing you know what works for different people. No doubt. Yeah. So I mean, like I know everybody's all ooh and on over the the horizontal slider, which a lot of guys throw like a football essentially, like this, whether it's off of the inside of the two seam or outside or inside. But I've tried that, you know, just for just for experimental purposes and I've just learned that with my arm angle I need something that is almost a little bit more like bullet spinach. And if I turn it over a little bit more, it's pretty much just like a, a hard curveball slur, if you will. Yeah. But um yeah, it's very, very interesting how just moving your fingers that much can create such a different result on the ball, you know
0: what I mean? And then have you tried yeah. around the, the horseshoe like that? Oh yeah. yeah, my roommate
1: actually throws his slider just like that, and he's got the yeah. filthiest slider I've ever seen in my life. So <laughs> I know it works. I know it works. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the the bread and butter, the baby right here, the circle change. The circle change. Yep. So okay, so you can, I,
0: you hold it semi between like a four
1: seam and a two seam. It looks like. Yeah, it's kind of a hybrid. It's almost like have you heard of the the one the one, the one seam seam, seam shift sneaker yeah. like this? Yep. So I pretty much take the ball right here. I wrap my index finger. I'll show you guys. Right here. Okay. And uh, wrap it around this U. And then I try and thread my middle finger right along this seam right here. Okay. And I'm pretty much entirely trying to throw the ball off of these two fingers. Okay. So I push around, give myself a little brace with the thumb. And the key with a good changeup is just matching arm speed. Because they're all going to be slower than a fastball no matter what. Some people, it's a little bit closer in velocity, but um, yeah, just match the arm speed, throw it like a fastball, and then I don't necessarily feel like I snap as much at the end, as much as I pronate, like when I'm not doing the the movement on it that I want to, I really, my my cue to go back to it is to throw the circle at the hitter, like throw my index finger at the hitter, then that forces that super whippy pronation effect, and then it just drops down. But uh, yeah. I'd say last season I probably threw 35%, 40% change-ups. Okay. Uh, so what percentage yeah. fastball? It was like college, just to make it even numbers, 40% fastballs, 40% change-ups, 20% sliders. Okay, cool. And then as I got a little bit more comfortable with it towards the end of the season, that slider number went up a little bit closer to 30. But uh, yeah, you definitely want to keep a, a – like a decently even split between your pitches because with all the advanced scouting there is now in the game, I mean, guys, all they have to do is look and say, okay, this guy throws 45 50% change-ups, and then they just sit on that pitch. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's a very common thing for pro hitters to eliminate pitches. So instead of most relievers typically have two good pitches, right? Starters will have three, if you will. And if you can if you can dominate or execute all three of your pitches as a reliever, you're typically going to have a lot of success because, you know, guys may only get three pitches to eliminate, right? And then see ya. That's the ideal way. Just throw the kitchen sink at them. But, um, yeah, it makes it a lot easier as a pitcher when you can trust that you can throw your stuff in advantage counts to hitters like 3-1, 3-2, especially something like the change changeup because – Guys typically are going to think all this guy wants to do is get back in the count with a fastball, right. so I'm going to steal the fastball, and then you know, it's not. That's why executing off speed late in the count or just being able to throw it for a strike period is so crucially important in pro ball. Throw a changeup down the middle and watch guys just whiff. <laughs> you know, I it was it was pretty fun to to throw last year. Honestly, like some of the swings and misses I was getting out, I was like, all right, you know, we'll see we'll see how this plays at the higher levels, but this is, this is promising, right? Every once in a while you grunt change up on like a O2 count. So they think they are throwing a fastball. It's all, it's all messing with timing right out of there. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes. And then sometimes it doesn't. Right. Right. (laughs) That also happens. That's awesome.
0: Um, yeah. Kind of speaking to the whole, you know, uh, pitch usage, I was just thinking, you know, like Evan Diaz, Andres Munoz, guys with elite fastballs, they only throw their fastball like 40% of the time. And as That's you mentioned, crazy. relievers with two pitches, they got, you know, fastball slider. They throw that slider 60% of the time because in order to hit 100 plus, you have to cheat on that and really start early. And so if someone's geared up for the fastball, here comes the slider. So,
1: No, it's really, it's, it's, insane i i have guys in our organization or we have guys in our organization that sit upper nines and bump low 100s on a regular basis and they still throw the slider 50 55 of the time and it's it's just how the game's trending right because i mean yeah. as as pitching evolves hitting evolves you know and then guys learn how to hit because like i said earlier hitting is just timing so i mean when you've taken reps in a cage at 95 plus on a regular basis you know Obviously, when you bump triple digits, that's when it becomes, okay, yeah, that's a really dominant fastball, and you can kind of afford to miss down the middle a little bit. But even then, guys still get absolutely derailed on that pitch. You know what I mean? If they make contact. So, that's going to go a long ways. Mm-hmm, exactly. It's it's supplied velocity, if you will. So, I mean, you throw something with a little bit of spin, and then all of a sudden, guys have a harder time catching barrels, right? Because all you have to do with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball is – catch a barrel, and then that ball is 50% of the time going out of the park. Right, exactly. So, yeah, no, it's interesting. Like what you're saying, even the guys who throw absolute fuzz, they still rely on their off-speed a lot. I think that's just how pro ball is going. And I mean, if you look at college baseball, which just started back up, I feel like the commonality I've seen is it is early in the season, but runs are through the roof, and that's really? because fastball usage is very high in college, right? Yeah, sometimes you don't even know why. And I mean, it's up to each individual college program. And, you know, some of them are stiflers about making sure guys execute pitches. But uh, off speed's hard to hit, man. Stuff with a little bit of funk on it that's hitting is hard by itself. But when you have something that's flying at you, and then all of a sudden just drops, makes the job even harder, right?
0: Yeah. And if you got a good slider or, or a change up, they look like a fastball until right at the last second.
1: So, That's ideal, right? Yeah. That's ideal. In ideal world.
0: <laughs> so uh, what are the velocities and the movement profiles on your pitches? The four seam, what are you
1: throwing? So the four seam, uh, as I came back this year, I worked out, basically just focused on strength and unlocking my movement patterns this offseason. I'm sitting like 2-5 to five with that right now. Um, my slider is like low 8s and my changeup is also low so it's, cool. it's huge to see that I'm throwing a slider that has actual slider movement and is not a cutter at 82, 84. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, once you get above 80, yeah, 85 makes it elite. But once you get it above 80, that's when that spin really starts to blend in with a fastball. And hitters are good enough now to where they see curveballs and stuff like that pop and they can recognize spin. So, um, like I told you, I think my fastball, the – the angle on it is 11:15 to 11:30. Mm-hmm. My slider is a uh, pretty gyro slider, but it's getting a little bit more positive movement on it now. That is like uh, on a clock, I guess it would go 10 to 4, 10 to 4. So it's not really like a like a true slider. It's more like a slurve. Yeah. And then my changeup is like 10:15, uh, so it's a little bit more inverted than my fastball, mm-hmm. but uh, that. Typically, on a, on a regular day, we'll have, like, eight inches of horizontal drop or horizontal movement and then eight inches of vertical drop. And my slider will typically be, like, three to five in each direction. And then my fastball is usually in, like, the, the high teens, low 20s for inverse vertical break, which is the actual technical term for ride. So there's been a couple times where I've seen pitch overlays, and, I mean, it definitely makes you feel better about your stuff when you can see if you throw it all through tunneling. I'm sure you've heard that term before. Throw it through the window; that it all kind of just separates off of itself. Right. But uh, that is that's usually the challenge, right? And that's why you simplify it. And you just throw each of your pitches to two, three. I, I throw all of mine to two spots. I have my. I'm trying to throw this in the zone spot, which is typically just at or through the catcher's face mask. And then I have my expansive spot, right? So for my slider, it would be on the inside third of the plate, trying to back foot a righty. For my change up, it would be on the inside third of the plate to a lefty or the outside third of the plate to a righty. It Doesn't really change, you know? Right. But uh, yeah, and then fastballs are just up. Cool. Pretty much what my scouting report would tell you.
0: Yeah. Well, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I really want to connect with the drive line guys at some point. Because, I mean, just to hear the analytics side. And, yeah, as you were talking, you know, them putting all of the devices over you like you're getting ready for a video game, basically. And That's it's just, what it felt like. Yeah, completely understanding the science of it. Because, yeah, with your body type, where you're throwing the ball, the profile of your pitches, it's just very fascinating. And like I mentioned before, pitching really is an art because there's so much to it. And if you move to a different, you know, grip, it's going to do have a different type of movement that type of thing so that's awesome
1: oh yeah and just being off by a single inch in your degrees for release can result in like over a foot of movement from where your initial intended target was so it's you know it's not i feel like it's not as complicated as hitting but it totally can be in the sense that just how data and stat latent the game has become now but um yeah i i could talk pitching forever man this is my favorite Same. thing on the planet so i mean Yeah. I nerd out about it all the time.
0: Um, so I guess moving into that, were there any guys that you saw at driveline that you worked out with, um, that had some nasty stuff or was it kind of an ind- individual basis?
1: Uh, yeah. So we had a, we had our whole group from the Phillies, which was, I want to say like five or six other guys. And I mean, all of them are disgusting, you know, <laughs> especially coming out of that place. One of the guys is up to like 98, 99 now. So they definitely turn guys out there, but, uh, it's funny, actually Shohei Otani was working out at Driveline at the time that I was. So really, really, I didn't I didn't talk to him too much because yeah. he had his interpreter and, you know, he's, he's there trying to get his work in. He's not trying to sign autographs for everybody. For sure. So for sure. I let him handle his business. You know, I didn't go out and try, try to have that, a fan. Or anything. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's also me trying to not be starstruck that <laughs> our generation's like best talent, our generation's Babe Ruth is literally 10 feet in front of me taking hacks in a cage. One. Shohei drives one out toward left center field. Kiermaier going back and at the wall, gone. Big fly. shot a three-run. But um, yeah, I mean, driveline—they just like every other facility I've worked at, it—they have dudes who really believe in their process, and it is very fun to watch on their live AV days. They had a couple guys from the Dodgers, a couple guys from the Orioles, and I mean, some of them were on the big league side, some were on the forty-man, but. You realize like anybody that's a professional pitcher has something about them that makes them incredibly unique and that's why they're there. You know what I mean? So it's it's fascinating to just sit there and watch guys like freaking airbend balls, especially from the home view, because typically I'm watching from a bullpen or a center field view. But just seeing it from what a hitter's perspective looks like just adds so much more real credit to like what. Pitchers do, you know what I mean? Because
0: you want to, when you're a batter, I mean, you want to bail out of there pretty quick. I mean, if they have a 99 mile hour fastball, it looks like it's coming right at you, but then last last second.
1: <laughs> I don't want to imagine what hitting 99 is like. To tell you the truth, I mean, I'm not I'm not too upset that both sides of the major leagues are going to have DHs. I like I like taking hacks, but I'll tell you right now, I like hitting fastballs. I don't want to hit anything that's got any sort of spin on it because Hitting with a wood bat by itself is difficult enough when the sweet spot's this big. But, uh, yeah, I'll leave that to the professional hitters. You know, Hit it in the I'll wrong just... spot your and your hands are going to be ringing for a while. No, especially when you're up in the northeast or wherever you are and it's the beginning of the season, yeah, getting rung up on a fastball is the last thing any guy wants. Except me, right? I'm trying to do that to people. So. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Um,
0: so now getting into the uh, – the uh, rule changes for this year. I know in the minor leagues, the pitch timer, uh, the defensive shifts, larger bases, those types of things. Um, as, a, as a pitcher with the pitch timer, I wanna hear your perspective on what your experience has been with that and what, what you think of, of those changes.
1: Sure, yeah, so uh, thankfully, it's actually, it was a blessing in disguise. The Florida State League was one of the only leagues in low A, that had all of these rules already in practice. So we had our pitch clock last year. I think we actually have like an extra second this year on it. But um, I know it bothered a lot of guys at the beginning, but I feel like it just gives more of an advantage to the pitcher yeah. because, you know, hitters, just like pitchers, have their routine. But I'll tell you if you're just on the mound, toad, and you're ready to go, and you still have 12 seconds left on your clock, and you already know what pitch you're throwing. That, that intimidates a hitter, you know, when you're blowing them up. And especially if you're throwing strikes, that makes them apprehensive to swing the bat, you know, because they don't feel like they're ready to. So I'll say it can speed guys up, but I'm I'm thankful that I work quick in the first place. And that's something that they preach with the Phillies. Like get a few steps off the mound, get your ball. Don't walk halfway to home to receive it immediately. Toe the rubber, keep looking at the guy. Don't break eye contact and just – keep getting right after him, you know? So um, I think I think it's going to have an impact on steals and just the running game, base running game, because now there's the whole, like, you can only step off two times in an at-bat. So if you're going to step off a third time, you better get the guy out. Otherwise, he's granted a free base. Right. Um, but, you know, it just adds more strategy, more layers to the game. So it just makes us have to do our job better. You have to vary your hold times more you have to i mean some people will argue this but i think it's always important to be quick to the plate just to give your catcher a chance to get a guy out but i mean it's just you just have to further control the game you know what i mean and i i know that's a tough adjustment for a lot of people and it has been in the past for myself but it's what it's about right the game's going to continue to evolve and if you don't evolve with it then you're going to get left behind right right for sure um bases i mean it's i think it's a Few inches bigger, which I am fully on board with just being a guy who has to go over to first base and you have to share base with somebody who's running actively trying to beat you. Right. And you know, you're on the base at the right spot. Typically, you're not going to get stepped on. But I feel like that just gives you a better chance to not get stepped on. Um, I know they're going to implement ABS, which is the automatic strike zone at the higher levels. I'm sure that will probably never make it to the major leagues. And that takes away an umpire's job. but uh the you ears. never know. You yeah. never know.
0: Yeah, with the automatic strike zone, they would just be there for show. I heard that they have an earpiece in, so they're basically mm-hmm. just there you know doing whatever it tells them. but yeah, we'll see if that gets there. Um, we'll see how much longer
1: Angel Hernandez has a job. I don't know if you right, you know what that is. <laughs> right. no so, uh, I mean it was it was cool to have in Loway though, you know like there were a lot of guys that didn't like it. I got absolutely bailed out a couple times because I'm a, I'm a high arm slot guy. So there'd be times where I would completely not cross my catcher up, but he'd be set up up top and I would miss low and it would just clip the, the zone, the automatic. And then <sighs> everybody in the house thinks it's a ball. And then all of a sudden, building mm, so. off that, also, I feel like the
0: approach for pitchers would completely change. You know, instead of trying to really fill up the zone, it's like they're just trying to get creative with it. And if they nick the strike zone, then it's going to be called a strike. So, oh, yeah, just, and just, I know hitters like, would
1: raise hell if that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting, too, because uh, there was a, with the ABS, there was also a challenging rule. So I think a team got That's three right. challenges tonight, and if you were correct yeah, on the a challenge, challenge, then you were awarded it. But, like, in tight situations, there'd be games won or lost by a freaking challenge, man. Like, there was one, one of the first series I was up there, we had bases loaded, and 3-2 uh, count, guy gets walked in, to tie the game up and then they're all freaking out. And then we challenge it and it ends up being out. So it's like, it's weird. Like, you know, the momentum of like a normal baseball game where umpire will punch a guy. Well, now there's like an aftermath to that, right? It says, okay, let's see what the booth actually says. So it was interesting. I personally think, although it definitely benefited me at times, I think the games are better off being called by umpires. And I think that adds the human element of it, because right. there's part of catching is buying your pitcher strikes. Right. You know, deceiving the umpire because you're so damn good at your job. Right. It's framing. That's a whole thing yep. in catching now. And I feel like it can still help. But to a point. Right. Like now you're not you only don't have to deceive the umpire. And you can't really deceive a robot because it's calculated to each hitter. So I, I like what they're trying to do but i think i think that rule is going to be one that probably stays in the mind you know what i mean but you never know it's all subject to change and all we can do is adapt to it right
0: right and that's my concern with the pitch timer is that it can really have an impact on the game you know if in spring training there was a game that ended Mm -hmm. on a pitch timer violation and it was a Mm -hmm. debatable call so i really hope that they figure out a way whether it's late innings or in the playoffs or what have you to you know reduce the impact of that because it it, it can change the team's season if if one of those is
1: absolutely. called so absolutely and i think that was uh that was a decision made for the viewability and the fan base of baseball because i'm a baseball player so i love watching games because i can kind of put myself in the in the mode of whatever's going on on the field but um, i want to say average baseball game time at a, at a big league level is probably anywhere between three and four hours depending on what the game looks like and i know game times have been brought down significantly with the pitch clock but you see guys that usually i mean garcia for the astros like he right. had his whole crazy rock the baby routine and now that gets cut out so it's definitely causing a lot of guys to have to make adjustments and that's why i'm glad that our league forced us to make that adjustment early on you because I feel like that could be something that sticks just to make the game more enjoyable for fans, which, you know, you're not willing to go get another hot dog and a cold beverage at a baseball game. You're probably not a real game. fan anyways. Yeah. yeah, you know, like it's interesting, but we're also the beta of uh, the whole testing of these new rules. So you kind of just have to be ready to adapt with them, right?
0: Yeah, for sure uh one more question before we get out of here um let's see here do you have any minor league any stories where it's like this is the minor leagues you know like a 12-hour bus ride
1: or you know i'll say this it really it's gotten a lot better since i've been in the minor leagues uh i know i'm very grateful to be in the organization i'm in they take really good care of us but um Thankfully, I played in the Florida State League. So our bus rides were never really any longer than like three and a half, four hours and you get an overnight. So you get to check into the hotel and then you play the next day. But I heard in the South Atlantic League that there were some bus rides that were like 10 hours and they would show up, they'd drive through the night and then they'd have a game the next morning. I'd heard from guys who'd been there for four to six years. Like you don't know how lucky you are that we get catered meals now after the games, before the games. Cause before that, all we would have is peanut butter and jellies. Like they'd have two or three loaves of bread, a couple jars of peanut butter, a couple jars of jelly. But yeah, like minor leagues are definitely on the come up. I'm sure you and whoever else is watching this has probably heard that minor leagues is partnered with the MLB players association and, Right. I know they're fighting tooth and nail right now to get us everything that they feel like we deserve. And I mean, I was grateful to be playing professional baseball in the first place, but now that, you know, the conditions are getting considerably better than they have been, it's only on the way up, and I'm sure it's only going to get better increasingly every year. So it's just exciting to see how this whole big array of things unfolds. You know what I mean?
0: For sure. Watching the game develop and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I mentioned, you know, there's so much money in the game, you know, if one small fraction of that is spread across the minor leagues, how much better would the, the minor
1: league conditions be? So I'm excited. You're not wrong this. about that. You're not wrong about that at all. But, uh, you know, all we can really do is just keep doing our job and take the updates as we get them from our players Alliance and let them absolutely go to war for us. Cause they're not settling for anything. Like it's, it's crazy. The updates we get, you see, that's constant back and forth, you know, no side wants to budge and we definitely are not budging on it. So it's, it'll be really exciting and I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be news that comes out here in the next month or so before the season starts about what the finalized season looks like. Cause honestly, minor leaguers don't even fully know yet, but um, we know that there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. So yeah. I'm very, very thankful that, that, that unionization happened. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah, well, Tristan, again, thank you for
0: your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I could talk for another hour, but we'll save that for another time. Um, Yeah, for sure. But yeah, best of luck this season, and I'm looking forward to seeing how you progress, and
1: hopefully soon see you up in the show. (laughs) You know what? I'd like that too, but I appreciate you having me on, Connor, and uh, I hope I get to talk to you here again soon. And uh, go Phils, baby. Go Phils. Yeah, go Phils. All right, man. Thanks again.
0: Yeah, you take care. All right, see ya.